The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Have you caught all the changes that have been happening within those videos throughout the last few weeks? A little girl is growing up. And life is changing in her world. And I, and I think about this video and how it ends with her going out the door into the world. And I understand the feelings that parents have when their children grow up and take that humongous step into the world. We had six children. We have six children. <laughs> no, we have more than six children because those six children have gone and found mates. By the way, happy anniversary to Austin and Michaela today. <laughs> yeah. A year ago today, they were joined as one and made the commitment to live their lives for God together. Isn't that awesome? You know, we do that ourselves. And as our children grow up and as they near that time when they're going to take those steps into this world, it's a bit scary. It's a bit concerning. And we wonder, have we taught them all they need to know? How are they going to handle things like marriage? How are they going to handle college and all the different messages that come to them during that time? How are they going to decipher the difference between the truth and what isn't true? They're going into a world that has religiously wearied the Lord with its words. It's interesting as we think about that. I understand those feelings, moms and dads, grandpas and grandpas. As each one of our children left the home to explore the world, there was a sadness and maybe a little bit of concern. But yet there was the hope that they would remember the teachings of Christ that they had been exposed to in the home and in the church that they had grown so much to love and be a part of. And I understand that not all families have that opportunity to have their children grow up in a family like this. Thank you, Westway, for doing that for us. I want to say hi. My name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here at Westway. <laughs> and we are going to finish this short series called Don't Miss It from the book of Malachi. We will see that even though the children of Israel had made some bad choices when they left home, so to speak, God still loved them. God still had mercy on them. And we will pick up the message God gave Malachi to give us in the second chapter and verse 17. You, you say, well, Mike read that last week. Well, 
it kind of sets up the third chapter. <laughs> and it kind of sets up the idea that Malachi is going into in his message from God to the children of Israel and to us. And so we'll begin this morning with chapter 2 and verse 17, where it says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? You have wearied him by saying that all who do evil are good in the Lord's sight, and he is pleased with them. You have wearied him by asking, where is the God of justice? It's an interesting verse, isn't it? The children of Israel had turned so far from God that they couldn't or wouldn't recognize the difference between good and evil. And then they began calling for God's justice, not realizing that by doing so, they were actually calling God's judgment on themselves. Are we any different today? How many of you have watched the news lately? Nobody's raising their hand. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to admit it either. <laughs> but isn't that what we are hearing and seeing when we turn on the news channels today? Don't we see over and over lifestyles that are not good said to be good in God's sight? Don't we see people doing things that's being justified by those who ought to know better over and over and over in our news. We're even seeing churches that are saying, this is okay. As you see what it said, you have wearied him by saying that all who do evil are good in the Lord's sight and that he's pleased with them. Wow. We could preach a whole sermon on that verse, couldn't we? <laughs> well, we want to go on. They're shouting out, where is the God of justice? Over and over in the Old Testament, we see that the children of Israel acknowledged God, but allowed their own selfish desires to be what motivated what they would do. They ignored the principles and guidelines that God had given them for their own good and did exactly what he had warned them not to do. God gave them messages from the prophets, encouraging them with the news of a Savior. And those who stayed faithful to God looked forward to the coming of the Savior. Let's pick it up again in Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Malachi says, look, I am sending a messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him? When he appears, 
for he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Then once more, the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem as he did in the past. At that time, I will put you on trial. I am eager to witness against all sorcerers and adulterers and liars. I will speak against those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress widows and orphans, or who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice. For these people do not fear me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. It's an amazing message that Malachi is bringing to the children of Israel here. Hundreds of years after Malachi recorded this message, we will see, and actually it's just a couple pages back in your Bibles, where Matthew tells us who this messenger was. But before we go there, Matthew chapter 3 is where we're headed next. I want us to kind of look at those verses a little bit closer. The description of that messenger is interesting to me. And he says, who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like, like a blazing fire that refines metal. That's hot. I don't know how many of you have seen the video or the shows on TV called Forged in Fire. And one of the things that they do after they've made the shape of the blade that they want to use is they take that blade and stick it into this vat of very, very hot oil to quench the blade. And if it's done correctly, that blade becomes very hard and they take a file to see if any little pieces will come off of the file. And it doesn't because it's so hard. I think about this messenger that God says he's going to send and what he's going to do. He will purify the Levites, the church leaders, refining them like gold and silver so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. As I read that, I was reminded of last Sunday. I was sitting over here at the table with my daughter and her kids and my wife and Mike was reading from the second chapter about where God was going to take the manure and smear it on their faces because their sacrifices weren't acceptable. And my grandson, who's eight now, um, went like that and looked at his mom. And she turned around and said, yeah, that's in the Bible. <laughs> that's part of preparing our kids for the truth, isn't it? You know what? God wants good sacrifices from us. And he reminded the children of Israel over and over and over of the need to give the best. 
what comes first. And I'll talk about that a little bit more. This messenger was going to speak to the church leaders. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3. Beginning with verse 1, it says this. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees, the church leaders, coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Wow, it's quite a message, isn't it? Kind of hot if you're sitting in the seat of those who had been leading people in the wrong direction. John's message here is pretty clear. You couldn't make it much clearer. Repent. Remember the definition for repent? It means to turn around and go the other way. To stop it, what you're doing. And turn away from it and go the other way. Just because you're a descendant of Abraham, John said, doesn't mean that you're safe from God's wrath. Maybe we do belong to a family of influence. We do call ourselves Christian, don't we? We say that we belong to God. But just because we say that we're Christians, does that mean that we're safe from the wrath of God? It's an interesting thing to think about. I can just hear John shouting out, read the scriptures for goodness sakes. Just look at what the prophet Malachi said. At that time, I will put you on trial. I am eager to witness against all sorcerers and adulterers and liars. I will speak against those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress widows and orphans, or who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice. For these people, these foreign people, they do not fear me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Those Pharisees and Sadducees probably felt like they just had hot oil thrown all over them. 
they were supposed to be the Bible scholars. Back in Malachi, flip back a couple pages. In chapter 3 and verse 6, we read that God's call is to repentance. He continues this dialogue by saying, verse 6, I am the Lord, and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should the people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't even have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I think about how the children of Israel had repeatedly over and over and over in the Old Testament turned their backs on God. And they had tried to do things on their own, forgetting about the guidelines that God had given them. And because of that choice to do it my own way, they pronounced a curse upon themselves. It's interesting to think that when we turn our backs on God, we're making a choice. And that choice is that times aren't going to go well. Times for us won't happen the way that God intended them to be. In the, book, in the books of law, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Um, in the books of law, the children of Israel were instructed to bring a tithe or a tenth of what the Lord had given them to the Levites. And that was to be their inheritance, the, the Levites' inheritance. You see, all the other children of Israel, they had a portion, portion of ground that was given to them when they went into the promised land. But when the Levites went into the promised land, they didn't receive a portion of ground. What they received was what was given by the rest of the children of Israel. They were then, the Levites then, were to give a tenth of that as an offering to God. And in this way, everyone was provided for and God was glorified and they trusted him for their provision. Did you catch that? 
This system works. When we give back what he's given to us, even just a portion of it, then that portion takes care of the needs of those who aren't able to give back anything. And it's interesting that I've watched when gifts are given to people, they tend to give to others from those gifts. That's God's plan. But the children of Israel struggled with doing this. God called it cheating him. The NIV and the New American Standard Bible translations both say that they were robbing him. In doing so, they placed themselves under a curse. They were choosing to live without his blessings. Here in Malachi, he says to bring the whole tithe. And if you do, he will provide way more than you need. Here God gives here God says something that should catch our attention. He says, test me in this. And as I think about this promise that God gives us here, I think about the young person leaving the home and heading out on the, into the world on their own. And I wonder how many of us have taught our children that God is the one who provides us with what we need. And by sharing what he's given us, we glorify him and display our trust in him. How awesome would it be if those kids had learned to trust God so much that they were already giving him freely of the provisions he'd blessed them with by the time they walked out that door to live their own lives on their own. How great is your faith? How much do you trust him? The Israelites, his people, the church struggles in this. Look at verse 13 in Malachi chapter 3. You have said terrible things about me, says the Lord. But you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? You have said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins? From now on, we will call the arrogant blessed. For those who do evil, get rich. And those who dare God to punish them, suffer no harm. Isn't that our, our tendency? When we look around us and we see people with money and able to buy whatever they want, and it looks like life is so good. And we have the tendency to say, that's not fair. How come I work so hard, I obey God's teachings, and all I have is this little house or whatever? I drive a beat up old car, whatever. What good has it done me to follow God? I think maybe our focus is in the wrong place. We've placed our value on physical things as opposed to spiritual things, haven't we? 
when we find ourselves in that moment. Yet, in spite of our tendency, God promises mercy. Malachi then records a remarkable statement in verse 16, and he says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. They will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Then you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked. Between those who serve God and those who do not. This may be the most important passage in this whole book. Don't miss it. There's hope in these verses. If you haven't heard anything I've said this morning, don't miss this. So I'm going to read it again. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. What picture comes to your mind when you hear those verses? I'll tell you what I thought. I thought about this. When we gather together in his name, and we talk about what God is doing in our lives with each other, God listens. When you get together in your homes with a small group or with other Christians, and you talk about what Jesus is doing in your life with each other, and you praise him together, God listens. And he didn't just listen. He took note. He took Attendance in heaven. <laughs> he got out his little pad like they were doing as you came in this morning and wrote down their names. Maybe not that way. But he noted those who fear him. I think that's awesome. They had something in common. The fear of the Lord. This fear of the Lord is the kind of fear that recognizes God as our creator, the one who is in control, the one who loves us and wants to bless us, the one who has the wisdom and the power to deal out justice. It's the kind of fear that motivates us to humble ourselves before him and give ourselves completely and fully to him. It's loving him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. So they got together to talk about it. And the Lord listened to them. When we get together to share our lives with him and each other, he notices. Malachi says, in his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names. Yeah, they took attendance. He also says, they will be my own special treasure. Think about my kids. 
as they were growing up. And there were certain toys that they really liked or certain items that gave them comfort. I think one of my sons still has a pillowcase that he received when he was a little bitty boy. I think it's a Ninja Turtle pillowcase. <laughs> you know what? God has a special treasure. That's you. That's those who fear the Lord. And then he says, you'll have no trouble seeing the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. That's what I wanted my, for my children as they walked out that door. I wanted them to be able to identify what truth is and what isn't truth. I wanted them to be able to identify what's evil and what's not. The message that John the Baptist proclaimed was repent for the kingdom of God is near. If you were to read on in that passage in Matthew chapter three, you would hear John say that he baptized with water those that repented. But there was one greater who was coming and that he, John, wasn't even worthy of carrying that person's sandals. Who was that person? That person was Jesus. Jesus came to John to be baptized. And John said to him, I should baptize you. And Jesus' response is worth noting. In, John, in Matthew chapter 3, beginning with verse 15, Jesus said this, It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. In some translations, it says to fulfill all righteousness. So John agreed to baptize him. And after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son. This is my treasure, if you will, who brings me great joy. The Savior had come. God announces that Jesus is his son. Hope is reborn. God gives us the opportunity to receive that forgiveness. We too have that opportunity to repent of our sins and be united with Christ through baptism. Confessing our belief in Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit to live within us. We are connected to his body, the church. We become his treasure. Jesus in John chapter 15 used the illustration of a grapevine. He said that he was the vine and we are the branches. God, his father, is the gardener that cuts off the branches that aren't producing so the vine can grow and stay healthy. And when we are disconnected from Christ and his body, we die. 
It's an interesting thought. I want to read that from John chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Think about the picture that Jesus is presenting here. He says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. You see, our hope comes from being connected to Jesus. God decides who stays connected to Jesus. He determines this by our productivity. The amazing thing is that our productivity productivity is all because of what he does in us when we are connected to him. Let me read that again. Our productivity is all because of what he does in us when we are connected to him. We need him. If we go off and try to do it on our own, we're not going to produce what we need to produce. When we are not connected to him, we wither up and die and are thrown into the pile to be burned. The words and actions of Jesus are fulfillment of the message of the prophet Malachi that he gave us in his book. I don't know about you, but I need him. Yes, I do. I know about you. You need him. <laughs> We need his body. We need to be connected to him. And this is one of the ways that we do that. In the last chapter of Malachi, which happens to be the last chapter of the Old Testament, we read these words. The Lord of heaven's armies says, the day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear the name, my name, the son of righteousness, will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Remember 
to obey the law of Moses, my servant. All the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dread, de dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. What an ending to a book. It ends with hope. There's someone coming. He's going to prepare the way for your savior. And I think about the picture of the calves being turned out to pasture. I grew up on a farm. And I remember, especially in the spring, when the calves were turned out to pasture and the tails would fly in the air and the heels would kick up and down and they would frolic and play with not a care in the world. And when we're in Christ, we can have that kind of confidence. We can have that kind of hope. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus tells us that the prophet Elijah mentioned was, in fact, John the Baptist. And that we should pay attention to John's message. There will come a day when Jesus will return. True justice will be served. For those who have been faithful to Christ and have been obedient to him, it will be a great day. Our hope is in the Lord. He wants us to be one of his children. I want to share with you one last verse before we close this morning. It's found in the book of Isaiah chapter 43. And I was reminded of this verse last Monday night as we were in our small group watching the first video of the chosen. And there was a lady by the name of Mary Magdalene. And they start this story in The Chosen as a, when she's a little bitty girl and she's having nightmares. And her dad says, what should you say? And this is the verse that her dad told her to recite. And then later in the video, Mary's struggling with demons. And Jesus comes to her and takes her face in his hands. And he reads this verse. He quotes this verse. He says, but now, O Jacob, or Mary, or Joe, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says... Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Let's pray. Father in heaven, sometimes we find ourselves in situations that just don't make sense. And we might look around us and have a little envy and a little bit of jealousy when we see others who haven't followed your teachings seemingly being blessed. 
In those moments, Father, we're forgetting what truly matters. In those moments, Father, we need to remember that you want us to be yours. And that you have given your son to pay the price for our sins. And even though the times might be tough. And we might be going through a little pruning. You still love us. In fact, you're allowing us to go through these times because you love us. Help us to stay faithful. Help us to remember that when we honor you with what you've given us, whether it be our, our money or our talents or just our time, that you can take that little bit that we give to you and turn it into amazing, wonderful things. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your messengers who come in many ways to remind us about your son. Father, please be with us as we continue on in our service this morning, as we honor you with our voices and with our time and our talents. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.